Okay, good morning. It's great that you could join us this morning. My name's Tammy. If you don't know, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Central Vineyard, and um, I have the joy of um, coming to speak this morning, and this morning we're diving back into the book of Job. Last week, Stephen gave us an overview of the book of Job, how we go through pain and suffering, and how we approach God in that pain and suffering. And if you're joining us on our journey this year of our year in biblical literacy, um, and you're right on track, you will have finished Job, and think you'll have almost almost finished Proverbs as well. Um, and Job, along with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, are known as the wisdom books. Um, if you're new or you didn't start this at the start of the year, you can join in right now. You can go to uh, the Central Vineyard website. There's a link um, called Year of Biblical Literacy, and you can join right in where we're at, or you can start at the beginning. You can literally go at your own pace. There's no test at the end of the year. We're not going to question you, <laughs> how much you how much you've learned and where you're at. And so today in Job, I want to look at how this book is linked with our modern-day search for meaning, how we go through pain and suffering, and the effect that it can have on our character and relationship with God. Um, And I'm reading from Job again. Um, One of the things I didn't say in the first service that became quite prominent in the break is that pain and suffering is a really tricky topic. It's really hard because you can talk about the pain and suffering you've faced. There isn't anyone that hasn't faced pain and suffering. Um, And it can become a really emotional talk. So I could stand up here today and do this talk and literally cry my way through it. But that actually wouldn't be helpful to any of you in the room. (laughs) So, you know, it might seem that I'm reading this and um, I'm one of those annoying people that doesn't understand pain. But... um, I can guarantee that I can share in those moments with you, and I will get through this without um, crying. So Job 23, it's going to come up on the screen, verses 1 to 10. And so you have a backdrop in chapter 22. Um, Job's, Job's friends have come to see him, and they're trying to offer him help. And Eliphaz, I think that's his name, has accused Job of being wicked or sinful. There must be a reason that God has done all these things to Job, and he hasn't helped Job at all. Job continues to feel desperate, and the wisdom and counsel of Eliphaz and all the others have been no relief to him in his suffering. Um, In fact, they've probably made his physical and spiritual pain worse. So he in confidence wants to come before God and stand before God and listen to the charge because he, he knows in confidence that he'll come out with a, a clear conscience. So, then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me. And consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. 
When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Beautiful. And if I were to do a survey, someone has done a survey, um, on what the meaning of life is, what do you think the answer would be? What do you think somewhere in the top answer of the meaning of life? Can anyone give a hazard a guess? Sorry? Be happy. happy. You're absolutely right. The, The top answer is the point of life is to be happy. Or a derivative of that is to be happy and to make others happy. John Lennon said this, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I wrote down happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment, and I told them they didn't understand life. Audrey Hepburn said, the most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy, it's all that matters. So the question is, how can that be a reality? Because the reality is, is that we live in a time after the Garden of Eden, after the fall of man. So if you've been following along, you will know that God had a perfect plan, his original plan in that garden to live in peace and relationship and love. But the fall happened And now we live in a world where we face pain and we face suffering at some point in our life. Not a single one of us is immune to that pain and suffering. And it doesn't matter what kind of life you have built for yourself, at some point you will face it. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God in Pain and Suffering, writes this. No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, No matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable, with friends and family, and successful in our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Wow. This morning will be encouraging. (laughs) I will state that. That doesn't sound like it, but it will be. And for some of you in this room, you know, that isn't your experience. You're in a great point of your life right now where things are good, things are sweet, life is perfect, and you have all those little animals from Disney films coming and doing your housework and making your beds just right now as we speak. But there are some of you that don't feel that way this morning. You're in it, or you know someone that's in it. You've just come out of it, and so on. But for the most, we've been through it. And the very least, if you haven't, I'm really sorry, but you will. We can agree that in life you suffer pain. It's a very biblical concept. Jesus says we will face. And Christianity isn't the only faith that says it. In fact, the Hindu faith says um, they have a belief called karma. And so if you've heard that saying what goes around comes around, or you deserve what you get, 
Um, they believe that suffering is a product of your own bad choices in this life and because they're Hindu in the former life. The Buddhist view is that there are four noble truths, that all of life is suffering, the, that number two, the cause of suffering is desire, three, suffering only ends when desire ends, and four, you can achieve this end by following the eightfold path to enlightenment. <laughs> so, tired already. Um, and then there's the Islamic view, and they hold a high view of fate or destiny, that everything happens for a reason because of the will of Allah or God. And this is also permeated through different sectors of um, you know, the hard right-wing Christian church. This is called a fatalistic view of life. Pain and suffering is fate. There's no way around it. And then there's another viewpoint, which is the dualistic view. Or if Stephen was standing here today doing this talk, he would call it the Star Wars view. It, and, and actually, Star Wars is a real religion, just in case it's, it's there on the census. But this is the battle between the forces of good and evil. There always has to be a balance in the cosmos, and these um, you know, things are contesting one another. But all these viewpoints have one thing in common and is that they agree that pain and suffering is inevitable and you will face it. You should expect pain to come at some point and through this you will have development of your character, whether you're Hindu, Buddhist, Islamic or Obi-Wan Kenobi. But most of us here, I'm guessing, on Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm guessing we have a faith works view, um, whether you're Christian or not, one that has been educated to us in our Western world. And that is different from all the viewpoints above. It has evolved from a worldview that everything is the product of chance and accident. There's no meaning behind the universe. There's no purpose other than to experience happiness in life. Richard Dawkins says this, The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. You won't find rhyme or reason for it. There is no justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. And that's the worldview we are educated into. So when you ask most people on the street, what is the meaning of life? They will answer, it's happiness. But if you actually stop and think about that viewpoint, it's going to create a real desperate problem for people, for humans who run into pain and suffering. Because if the point of life is happiness, then our next question is, where did we go wrong? just the position that Job is in. He's been with his friends who have questioned whether he's sinning against God, whether he's been wicked. There must be a reason for his pain and suffering. What happens when we are to face the inevitable? What happens when we're face-to-face -face with the diagnosis? What happens when we're face-to-face -face with failure? What happens at the loss of a loved one? The after-effects of having made bad choices we have to live through. If our life is marked with heartache, betrayal, divorce, illness, and so on, you can fill in the blanks. Well, can you see there's a problem? The Western secular world is the worst at dealing 
with pain in life because what we do is we see it as an interruption to the point of living a fulfilled and happy life. We believe that when we face pain and suffering, life is put off. We think the pursuit of happiness is on hold. We think that whilst we face what we face, life isn't happening because we're not happy. And at worst, we see pain as an obstacle to the event of life, one that we may never get over. We live in a state where we feel we will never achieve the point of life to be happy. So it should come as no surprise that along with that viewpoint, we do everything in our strength to avoid any kind of pain, suffering or hardship. We don't want it. We don't want it to slip into the cracks. We don't want it to come into the voids. We avoid it. And we've made a fantastic job in our society on cutting back on death, cutting back on disease, fighting pain, fighting injustice, fighting poverty, and maintaining the happiness and the general safe and status quo of the majority. But the truth is, nothing is escapable. Nothing is foolproof. We are not foolproof. And so how we react at the sudden reality of suffering isn't a surprise. We self-medicate. We take tablets. We drink wine. We work all the hours. We make sure there's no time to stop and think. We create schedules that mean we have no thinking or feeling time. We binge watch Netflix to make sure the brain is full of something other than this pain. We have a million social events, so we don't have to feel alone, be alone. We don't have to be afraid. We escape with worldly distraction. And you can choose what your worldly distraction is. And you choose it because you can't and won't deal with pain or suffering because life tells you you should be happy. Jim Morrison, lead singer-songwriter of The Doors, um, said this. People are afraid of themselves, of their own reality, their feelings most of all. People talk about how great love is, but that's a lie. He said a word there that I'm not allowed to say. Love hurts. (laughs) Feelings are disturbing. People are taught that pain is evil and dangerous. How can they deal with love if they're afraid to feel? Pain is meant to wake us up. People try to hide their pain, but they're wrong. Pain is something to carry like a radio. You feel your strength in the experience of pain. It's how you carry it. That's what matters. Pain is a feeling. Your feelings are part of you. Your own reality, if you feel ashamed of them and hide them, you're letting society destroy your reality. You should stand up for your right to feel your pain. And there's an American psychiatrist that some of you may have heard of because he's done some really controversial and crazy things in time. Just put his name in Google, surprise you. But Dr. Robert Spritzer, he in the 70s was the chair of the American Psychiatric Association. And he headed up a task force to create a publication called DSM-3. This was a book that was created with the goal that it could help clinicians diagnose any kind of mental illness or disorder with a a real precise set of definitions. It was published in 1980, 
And there were many controversial diagnoses in there. They listed a whole load of things that were simple life conditions, uh, and they were diagnosed as mental health illnesses. But what was interesting is that in 2007, he took part in a BBC series. Um, and in that series, um, he, he was interviewed. And about that book, this is what he said. We were not interested in understanding the patient's life or why they were suffering from these symptoms. If the patient was very sad, anxious or unhappy then it was simply assumed that he or she was suffering from a disorder that needed to be cured, rather than from a natural and normal human reaction to certain life conditions that needed to be changed. The growing influence of the DSM was one among many other social factors spreading the harmful cultural belief that much of our everyday suffering is a damaging encumbrance best swiftly removed. A belief increasingly trapping us with a worldview that regards all suffering as a purely negative force in our lives. Now, this is one of the main doctors citing that we have created a harmful cultural belief that everyday suffering is damaging. We've created a worldview where suffering is purely negative. When in reality, pain and suffering, if you let it in your life, can do so much good. In 1946, a book was published called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the Holocaust. but He was a Jewish neurologist and psychologist. Um, he was captured and taken to Auschwitz, um, where his wife and his family were uh, instantly put to death in the gas chambers. Um, as did happen with uh, many of the women and children. But he was one of the few to survive. And through his process, um, he pioneered a new form of therapy that's called logotherapy. It's like the word logo. And the, that in Greek means actually means meaning. So he created meaning therapy. And it was based on his time at Outswitch and what he discovered. He discovered that the men that made it through partly because all the women were, were put to death, weren't the ones that were tall, strong, and athletic. It was the men that found meaning in their suffering, who found a purpose whilst living in that hell. And they had something to live for. So Frankel, as a psychologist and neurologist, was adamant to the day he died that the point of life was not to be happy, um, but that our primal gut instinct of life was to find meaning. And that from meaning, we would find happiness. So he, he listed three of his points, um, and he said one was creating a work or doing a deed, so our contribution to the world. Two was experiencing something or encountering someone, so forming meaningful relationships. But number three, it was the attitude we take towards unavoidable suffering so our attitude. Frankel's suffering was an opportunity to, to grow, to rise above his situation and to turn that tragedy into triumph. And the point of life, he said, if you're in a concentration camp, if you're in a loveless marriage, if you're single at 45 and desperate to get married, if you have a chronic illness, whatever your thing is, 
The point of life was to suffer well. His famous lines you may have heard were, it's not about what we expect from life, it's about what life expects from us. So you need to stop asking, what can I get out of life, and ask, what can life get out of me? You know, and, and in his book, and in some of the things he says, his talk on hardships was very much in line with that of Jesus and the writers of the Old Testament, Old and New Testaments. You know, he wasn't a Christian, but over and over again in the Bible, it makes clear the point that pain and suffering has the potential um, to grow and mature us in our character. There's plenty of scripture. At the end of Job we read, he knows the way I take. When he tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And that's kind of the idea that this refiner's fire we're in. But let me show you. Psalm 66. For God tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us into a place of abundance. Isaiah, see, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Jeremiah, therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. See, I will refine and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? In the words of Jesus in Mark, everyone will be salted with fire. And Peter writes in 1 Peter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may, have your suf- you may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering can do great for our character. The Bible tells us it refines us. It will make us like gold. It will grow and mature you. It will test you. It will make you discover if there's junk inside of you. But it will make you beautiful. Um, And it reminded me of one of um, the lines from the book, Great Expectations. I don't know if you've ever read that, but Great Expectations was written by Charles Dickens. And it's a story of um, self-improvement, of wanting to grow in wealth, in stature and status. But instead, along the the line, um, he... The boy learns about improvement and affection and and loyalty. And he says this. Suffering has been stronger than all other teaching and has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I have been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. And I think there are five ways we can learn and grow from pain and suffering in our life. Pain and suffering can deepen your love for God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says, 
Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is a wake-up call used by God to grab our attention. We live life, and we can go day by day, and we can love God, and we can worship him, and we can do all those right things. But sometimes it's not until we're in pain. Are we really listening? And pain shows us the things we love most. And here's what I mean by that. So you know at the beginning where we said, Buddha, you know, believed that life is suffering and that suffering was a byproduct of desire. That part is kind of common sense because maybe you're sad if you're single and feeling like life is passing you by, but actually you're sad because your desire is to be married and to have companionship. If you're sick, you're sad because you're desiring health. If you're poor, you're sad because you're desiring wealth. If you hate your job and you're sad, it's because you're desiring that dream job, that freedom. Suffering is a byproduct of the things we desire. But I think the Buddha, with all due respect, was wrong to say, therefore, cut desire out of your life. That's one way out, but I think it's not the best way out. The fourth century theologian by the name of Augustine had some terrible things to say, but he also had some good things to say. And he said, the problem isn't that we desire, it's that we desire of the wrong things or of the right things in the wrong order. For Augustine, the problem wasn't that we love our family or spouse or our jobs or money or our homes or whatever it is too much. It's that we love God too little. And if you make anything other than God the top priority in your life, if you make that thing your source of meaning, if you make that thing your source of life, your joy, anything other than God, doesn't matter if it's good or bad, ultimately you will always live in anxiety because anything other than God can be taken away from you at any moment. Life can be taken. One diagnosis, one mistake one sense of freedom, happiness in a phone call, it can be taken away from you. Anything other than Jesus. We live, we question, are we going to lose it? Are we going to survive it? Are we going to be lonely? Are we going to be happy? Are we going to be sad? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to get the new job? Am I going to be single? Am I going to get married? Is this going to happen? Is that going to... And the questions go on and on and on. And then if you face the hardship, you have more questions because then you might lose it and you you have a profound sense of sadness. And you're like, I can't believe that happened. Why did that happen? I'm ruined. It's the end of the world. But on the other side, if you make God your desire, it can never be taken from you. Jesus can never be taken from you. So you can be set free from anxiety and sadness and grow. Augustine said, listen, the key is not to eliminate desire, contra to better. The key is to reorder your loves. 
to make God ultimate first and foremost. And as Jesus says, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Or in another place, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And the reality is, is that suffering is a great opportunity to do that. You take a long, hard look at your desires. Because when everything else in your life is stripped away and you're left with little or nothing, you don't have what you desire. You don't have what you want. It's an incredible opportunity to go to God and to express that ache. To be human is to desire. Don't eliminate it. Redirect it to the point at the direction of God himself. So it's a great opportunity to just deepen your love for God. Secondly, your character. You know, in some of those verses we read out, there's lots of testing language. But who is the testing for? Is it for God or for us? I would argue that at least most of the time, the testing isn't for God, it's for us. And when we read about testing in the Bible, don't think about testing like, GCSEs or A-levels or O-levels where you're studying, you want to get a grade and you're going to pass or fail and you can get into the college you want or, or not. Think of it more like a crafting metal. He talks a lot about refining and being in the fire. So in that process, they heat up raw material to such a high temperature and the ores get separated um, to refine them and what happens like particularly maybe with silver and gold is that the, the stuff comes to the surface what's inside all those um, raw materials come to the surface and you get to see what's, what's in it and you just want the, the refined stuff the good stuff and I think testing is, is like that it's what actually is going to come out of the inside and rise to the surface like a sponge on the side it just looks like a normal sponge and you pick it up and squeeze it but all this water or gunk or whatever's in it comes out and that's what life is like for us we look really good on the outside we dress well we have makeup we've got hair we've got the shoes we've got the look it's all very lovely but the reality is is when we face pain and suffering particularly if it's acute it takes all of our emotional energy just to get through the day so with nothing left on the inside and who we are is laid bare before God before people around us before our community our family our friends our colleagues and in our heart and mind we're forced to whether we want to or not take a long hard look at our character which in turn creates an amazing opportunity if we want it and if we will let it to do a deep work necessary in that moment to grow and mature in that area of our character. You know, suffering itself will refine our character, whether we choose it to or not, but we can choose to let it deepen our character and our relationship with God. So thirdly, it can deepen your humility. Pain and suffering creates depth in who we are. Genuine, authentic, unproud kind of grounded reality. Because it shows that actually you're not in control of life. And you never were. And it's easy to forget that 
particularly in our Western society, and particularly with all the self-help stuff you read that's out there, and I don't mean to sound derogatory, but what happens is we read all this stuff. We read all these quotes and sayings that say, you know, I'm the destiny of my own... um, you know, I am the captain of my own destiny, I'm sailing this ship, I'm doing this, I'm in control, I am this, I am that, I'm going here, I'm going there. But actually it's just an illusion because it takes one thing, one event, one diagnosis, one somebody that you love or care for. It takes one phone call and it changes the course or the moment. And then you realize how fragile a thing life is. Pain and suffering can make you humble. Fourthly, it can give you empathy. Suffering humbles us, gives us humility, but it can deepen the way we empathize for other people in pain and suffering. People that have not been through pain and suffering yet are really annoying when they speak to you when you're in it, right? I don't know if I'm the only one. And I know that people mean well, and people, but people can say things. You know, we say things like, come on, you can get over it now, what's the big deal, it's been a week. Or, you know, people drop cliche after cliche, hey, it happens for a reason, God's in control. And we've all done it to people, and we've received it from people. And in reality, you just want to punch them in the face and delete their perfect Instagram life, you know. It just happens, I'm the only one. (laughs) You know, it's not helpful. And I know people mean well, and they just honestly have no clue if they've not been there. They've never been through it. But when you go through it, when you go through whatever suffering or pain is, whatever your hardship, it isn't a cliche. It, it doesn't, cliches don't work anymore. You know, and even if you've not been exactly through what that person's been through, you know what pain is like. And there's a deep work of empathy, a solidarity that you can stand with another person in pain. And I think of the beautiful line in the first chapter of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and he says, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we comfort those in any trouble with the comfort with which we have received from God. This is one of the most meaningful parts of pain and suffering. The knowledge that God can and will use our pain and suffering to help other people. Whether it's now or later, he will use it to help others through a time of pain. So it deepens our empathy. And finally, it can deepen your joy. How? How can suffering deepen our joy? Suffering shows us or reveals to us everything we take for granted. And there's a lot, by the way. There's a lot we take for granted. And and the biggest thing is I have found that suffering exposes to me and to us the depth of our entitlement to things, how entitled we feel. And as things are stripped away and suffering happens, and if you let it and you go through it, there's a twist. And it's not usually at first, and it takes a while, 
but then we begin to celebrate the simple pleasures of life. We begin to be thankful for the roof over our head, that we get the freedom of a cup of coffee in the morning, that we get to enjoy a sunny day, that we have a friend we can call on. We have breath in our lungs. Just like at the start of time in the Garden of Eden, when there was freedom. You know, for me, a good conversation with a friend, I'm so thankful for it. You know, and whatever it is for you, we can feel a deep gratitude to God when we wake up with the reality staring us in the face. You know, that we were blind or oblivious to these things that are good and beautiful in our existence on a daily basis. It's all God's grace before us. And in an ironic twist, we become more joyful than we ever were before. You know, if you go and read all of the passages in the New Testament about suffering, and you will notice that bizarre thing taking place. In the same breath, the writer says something about suffering. They say about joy. Did you see that in Peter? Like in the same breath, he writes about celebration and joy, always rejoicing. And then he writes about grief and suffering and loss and trials and pain. In a time of celebration and a time of lament, our joy can be deepened. So they were the five. Suffering can deepen your love for God, deepen your character, deepen your humility, your empathy, and even your joy. Pain and suffering have the potential to catalyze a new growth and maturity in your life. Jesus is always doing something in your life in every season. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't heaped it on you. He isn't punishing you. He is working in you. He's refining you like gold in the refiner's fire. And Charles Spurgeon said this in his essays. Here the true Job comes to the front. You get the gracious man once more on his feet... He staggered a little, but he stands firm now. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So will you, my tried sister, my afflicted brother. The trial of your faith is but for a time. There will come an end to this furnace work. And when God has tried you, tested you, and taken away your dross, he will bring you forth, and you will be pure gold, meat for the master's use. You know, and... I just wondered if you ever sat down on your birthday or maybe the start of the new year and you tend to look back at what you've accomplished and think about things that you're going to try this year. But have you ever realised or have you ever measured how much you have grown in your character and how much that, that growth has come through a refining process? And I can honestly say... When people have said things to me, like, you're good at X, you know, I wonder, why am I good at that? You know, do I really think like that? I don't remember thinking like that. But if you sit down and think about it, you will remember a time where you weren't like that. You remember a season you were in, and where you've been shaped and formed, and it's felt a bit like you've been going on a full-spin washing cycle. 
You know, and if you're not sure what those things are, ask people. Ask someone to tell you. Ask someone to pray over you. Ask for God's words to speak to you. You will know where in your life you have been shaped and refined in the fire. And you might be in that place right now, in that washing machine. And some of you will categorize your pain and suffering as great. Some of you will categorize it as small. People have it worse or someone's experiencing this, so my pain doesn't matter. But pain and suffering is like gas. If you put gas in a little box or a big box, it will fill the whole of the box evenly and precisely. It doesn't matter the size of the box. Don't sell yourself short. Don't underestimate that someone else's pain is greater than yours. Your pain and suffering is perfectly designed to refine you in the fire that you're going through. And it might be true someone's having a way harder time because you look at their life and you see the story of Job. You know what? You can use your humility and compassion in those moments. But don't use that as an excuse to not face God in your stuff. Don't use that as an excuse to not meet God in your pain. Face him. Go through it. Feel free to be sad Sadness, the human emotion created by God and squeezed out by our Western culture. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. One Greek translation says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature.